Okay. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the National Library. I'm Maureen Dupre, one of the Assistant Director Generals here at the Library, and we welcome you here. Um, as we begin, um, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land. I thank their elders past and present for caring for this land, which we are now privileged to call home. Tonight we gathered for um, quite an inspirational story. Um, I was glad it was a bit rainy yesterday in Canberra and I snuggled up on my couch and I read the unbreakable story. Um, I think you'll find that it's a story of immense power and emotion. It's a story of people and place, triumphs and tragedy, and, but most of all I think tenacity and perseverance. Um, many of us know uh, that at the age of 16, Yelena Dokic made the quarterfinals of Wimbledon reaching the semi-finals just one year later. At 19, ranked number one, number four in the world, uh, probably wished you were number one, but actually four in the world at such a young age, uh, winning her first Women's Tennis Association singles title in, uh, in Rome. Uh, from there, uh, a very interesting story which we'll explore further. Um, as uh, the career went on, unfortunately, injury, as is the case often with elite athletes, brought, the, uh, brought her career to an early end. Uh, now, with much to share, uh, Yelena focuses on mentoring young players and also commentary work with uh, Channel 7 and with Fox Sports News. So there is much in this story that will be familiar to many of us. Um, however, there is much that will astound and confront us over the next uh, perhaps half an hour to 40 minutes as we explore this story. So joining Yelena tonight to help us in this uh, journey is Louise Ma, who's the ABC's Canberra's online and field reporter. Um, and many of you will have listened to Louise over many years and enjoyed the way that she has such passion for true stories of real people and the insights that she can elicit. So at this point, I would ask that you welcome both Yelena Dopic and Louise Ma. Thank you everyone for being here tonight and especially thank you to mm -hmm. Yelena who's done a very brave thing in not only writing mm -hmm. this book but by travelling around the country and talking to people. And there will be an opportunity, as Maureen mentioned, towards the end of our time together, together tonight when, when you'll have the opportunity too to put some questions to Yelena. And um, I'm sure that you will have quite a few. I was just wondering, to start with Yelena, what it was like for you flying into Canberra this <laughs> afternoon because you've been to Canberra before when you were just... Oh, I think you were 12, you won the under 16 junior championships here in Canberra, which was amazing, must have been amazing. Um, but it's also the place where you write in your book. It was the first time you noticed your father, Demir, drinking mm -hmm. at one of your matches. There was also an incident involving a car breaking down on the side of the road mm -hmm. in the freezing cold. <laughs> so what were you thinking when you flew in t today? Yeah. It was bumpy today. Um, <laughs> so we almost uh, didn't make it. We were a bit late with the flight. So um, blame Qantas for that one. Um, yeah, look, I've got um, some very good memories of Canberra. Um, my first event when I was 11 years old was in Canberra uh, when we just uh, came as refugees to, to Australia, so a couple of weeks later. Um, the car broke down on the side of the road. I've got great memories of seeing you know, the Parliament House straight away. Um, also, won a lot of events here. I won the under-18s nationals when I was 11. Um, so, yeah, and a lot of team trips here and, and uh, yeah, a lot of nice kind of memories in juniors. I've obviously got some bad ones because that's what the book's about um, with what I went through with my father. But um, all in all, yeah, I always loved coming to Canberra. Mm. 
Thank you. Right answer. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about um, your early family life in Croatia. Mm -hmm. Who, before you, before tennis became mm -hmm. a thing in your life, who was your family? What was your situation? Um, well, we it was Yugoslavia. So before the war started, but I was actually Croatia. That's where I was born. And um, yeah, we, we look. We weren't well off, but I have you know pretty good memories um, with both my parents. Um, and yeah, kind of, even though, even though I was very small, I've got some very nice memories with my father. Um, and up until I started playing tennis, which was when I was six, um, that's pretty much it for all the good memories with him and, and basically my family. So, yeah. But you had a little brother. Yeah, no, but I, um, um, he's eight years younger, yeah. so um, he came a little bit later. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, look, for me, I think my story starts um, pretty much when I was six and, and started playing tennis, um, and my dad got me started. And everything kind of starts from there. Um, uh, I got pretty much, um, you know, all the abuse that started happening, which is mainly what the book's about. Um, both physically, emotionally, verbally, uh, pretty much from, from when I was six, yeah. And then things just kind of also got worse in our lives because um, the war erupted and uh, things got really, really bad and we had to leave Croatia and, and go to Serbia when, when I was eight years old. And uh, yeah, I, I got um, a lot of memories and, and, you know, very clear memories of what was happening. And um, I talk about all this in my book, you know, seeing my first dead body and being threatened that me and my brother were going to get thrown off a building. And uh, yeah, just having to really escape overnight, leaving with my racket bag and just the clothes that we had on us when, when I was eight years old and, mm. and trying to search for a better life. Why did your father buy you a tennis racket at the age of six? I think um, he had this idea of, of, you know, wanting a good life, I think, for me, but also for my family. He watched Monica Sellis and Steffi, Steffi Graf um, play the French Open final, and um, that's where the idea came from. And uh, he saw the racket in, in, a, um, in a sports shop in the window, and that was it. And it was it just a, a happy chance, in a way, that you were good at it straight away? Yeah, I was very good at it, but um, yeah, I was very competitive, actually, straight away, even in school and, and other sports, and I was ac actually very good. I had a very good hand-eye hand -eye coordination and very he good... He must have known that about I you. I think so, with other ball sports and stuff like that. So I think he did see that a little bit, um, and, and then uh, I think tennis was the, the option. Yeah. Mm. How did the abuse start? What can you remember? Oh, well, it pretty much started straight away when I started playing tennis. So um, I talk about that in the book and pretty much the first or second um, training session that I had, um, he wasn't happy, he wasn't satisfied, and um, that was it. That's, that's how it started. Um, it got out of control through the years and really escalated when we came to Australia when I was 11, um, when we came to Sydney, and it just spiralled out of control um, through the years. Mm. Yeah. A lot of people, everyone asks, what about your mum? Mm -hmm. what, what was your mum doing? Because she knew that mm -hmm. this was happening to you, mm -hmm. that you were being beaten, that you were being called horrible things, mm -hmm. that you were being abused in this way. Mm -hmm. um, but she didn't intervene. No, she didn't. She was actually abused a little bit herself, um, nowhere near as much as I was. And um, she had this thing that, um, you know, that me and my brother should grow up with both parents. She grew up without a mother um, and father. And she, I think, um, really missed that in her life. And she was going to make sure that we didn't, um, you know, under whatever circumstances. So I think she took it a bit too far. And, um, yeah, she just kind of stood by and thought that whatever he was doing was the right thing. And, uh, yeah, that's what she, that's where she kind of stood 
the whole time through everything for you know 15 20 uh, 25 years even even after i left home when i was 19 she still kind of mm. stood by him and um yeah was on his so side. you were dealing with what your father was doing mm -hmm. to you but also what your mother wasn't doing for you well, look, I, I don't blame her even today. I don't judge what she did. For me, it was actually harder after I left home because I made this decision. I was in such a tough position with my father, um, not just privately but publicly with all the embarrassment and everything that I was going through, and I decided to leave. And when I left, she got even tougher on me. She really didn't agree with that. And um, she wanted me to return no matter what I was going through, whether I was going to get abused again. Um, she wanted me to come back, and that was hard on me. Um, I didn't have that support when I left home from, from her, and it made it very, very difficult. Yeah. When you were a little girl, you were really close to your dad's father, your, gra mm -hmm. your grandfather. Um, tell us a bit about your father's background. Mm -hmm. Well, I tried to understand that part of his life as well, because I always kind of tried to search for answers um, about everything and his behaviour and everything that happened, but I couldn't find them, and, and I couldn't talk to him about it. And... Um, he was abused himself by, by his mother, not by his father, and uh, he always resented um, uh, her and, and really didn't agree with the way that she treated him. So, yeah, um, it was hard for me to understand then why he did that. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much, I think, all I know. Um, and I, you know, know his father and mother, obviously my grandparents, um, even though... Um, you know, my grandfather died. Um, in the war? Yeah, um, so two years after we left Croatia, which is very hard on everybody, but um, especially, yeah, I, that was hard on me, um, actually, because I felt like out of everybody, he was the only person that really kind of understood, and, and um, my dad would never, ever hit me in front of him. He didn't allow him to, so... I kind of felt protected there, and then this person was gone. So that was very difficult. Life was difficult for for you mm -hmm. and for your whole family, really, mm -hmm. when you were in Serbia. And your father made the decision to come out to Australia because mm -hmm. you had a relative al already in Australia, so it seemed like a, mm -hmm. a, a good option. Tell us what it was like for you as a family in Fairfield in those early months in Australia mm -hmm. as refugees from Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. Well, we were already refugees going from Croatia to Serbia, and we had... Um, very difficult life. I described that uh, quite a bit in the book, and, and um, you know, uh, my mum and and I, with my three-month-old br brother, we escaped and lived in a um, rat-infested shed for for a long time. And um, very that was difficult. In Serbia. Yeah, very yeah. difficult conditions. And then we almost started settling in, and things started to get a little bit better. And we had to move to Australia because um, I was getting better at tennis and, and um, all the restrictions hit because of the war. So there was no travel, no visas. Um, and my father um, had an auntie in, in Sydney. And uh, he that was, you know, basically the way out. And uh, we came to, to Fairfield. And again, very tough conditions, you know, all slept on one mattress on the floor. And until we kind of started to slowly, you know, settle in. But for a long time, yeah, life was difficult. And you didn't speak English? No, none of us spoke English. I learned very quickly. Um, started school straight away. Because um, you were always clever at school, weren't you? Yeah, I was always very good at school. Ex excellent. But um, there was still that adjustment because it was a bit of a culture shock. You know, we... we a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We come from Eastern Europe. The, the mentality and everything is so different. Mm. Um, even though I found that I actually fit in quite quickly um, but my father which was always he was the main thing and main reason if if something was wrong with him everything was wrong so 
he didn't fit in. I think he never wanted to leave home. Yeah. Mm. And he he started drinking. Do, mm -hmm. you, do you think maybe to ease the pain of being away from his country? Yeah, yeah. I actually saw him do it first time when we came to Australia. Yeah. I, I I'm not sure whether it was happening mm. before that. I was quite still young and didn't wasn't didn't take notice of it. But um, yeah, it really spiraled out of control in Australia, um, pretty much straight away. I think he had a lot of uh, problems and, and that, that we came here, he, again, he really didn't want to leave. He had the whole thing with the war and I think it really affected him and, and he just struggled in Australia. I love the story of how he found somewhere for you to start tennis by mm -hmm. seeing some guy with a whole lot of tennis balls yep. in the boot. <laughs> That's a funny story. Yeah. But, but before too long, you were, you were really back into that mm -hmm. training and um, working really hard at perfecting your, your mm -hmm. tennis skills. Mm -hmm. Give us, paint us a picture of what the days were like for you um, in terms of how tennis fitted in with school and with your home life. Oh, it was uh, quite a schedule. Um, I, I was, again, I went to school all the way up until year 10, which is quite good, I think, for a tennis player because everyone stops school so early and then I finished year 11 and 12 um, by homeschooling. So, yeah, it was difficult because, um, like I said, it was more about my dad getting out of control, so more so than the workload and which he made me do so much. So um, it was more dealing with him on a day-to-day -day basis and, and his abuse got worse and worse and, and something I describe quite a lot and, and go into detail in, in my book. And um, yeah, from emotional to verbal to physical and you know, days where he made me run extra 10 kilometers were the easy days. So, you know, considering you know, I could have gotten, you know, be beaten with a belt and called all these, you know, horrible names when you're a girl who's 11 years old. So, yeah, it was very tough to handle all that. A lot of pressure and constantly kind of being told that I'm the family's way out. Even if I don't succeed, you know, everyone's going down with me, basically. So it's a lot to put on some that's yeah, 11 or indeed, 12 or 13. Indeed. Yeah. And it seemed as though you could never please him. It wasn't as though if you did really well that mm -hmm. he would go, Elena, that's great, you know, mm -hmm. give you a hug, say oh, well no. done and give you that positive encouragement. Mm -hmm. That was never there. Mm -hmm. What were you thinking of as a child about the way he was treating you? What, what does a child think well, when their parent treats them that way? Yeah, look, I went through it for such a long time. and so, I mean, it started when I was six, so for me... It was everyday life. It became almost normal, even though I knew it wasn't normal and that that's not how a normal family should function. Um, so it was very difficult because actually all I wanted was one word here or there and it would have made all the difference. Um, and it just didn't come, you know. So, yeah, it was hard because even winning or even a good training session, mm. you know, I wasn't safe from, you know, being abused or, or hit. So... Um, winning a match um, wasn't always, you know, um, I wasn't sure that I would still, you know, come off the court and that he would be satisfied. So, so there that was always that fear? Yeah, always, all the time, 24-7. Mm. You had, you were, you were a popular happy child before you came to mm -hmm. Australia, you say in the book. Mm -hmm. And when you came to Australia, um, your father didn't want you to make friends. Mm -hmm. So um, what was that like for you at, at school, for example, and then when you were starting to play tennis with other um, young tennis mm -hmm. players when uh, your father forbade you to, mm -hmm. you know, have a relationship with other young people? Yeah, he didn't allow that, even though I tried to make friends at school um, because I felt like, 
you know, he wouldn't know when it was different at tennis because he was there. He but, was always yeah, there. Yeah, but at school he wasn't. But still I was, I just, yeah, couldn't fit in at school. Um, I tried and I was actually bullied at school. Um, and then in the tennis community, yeah, he made it very um, difficult as well for me. But even the, the trips that I went um, to with the other kids, um, yeah, I faced a lot of um, difficult situations. Again, something I talk about in the book and, and it was hard when you're 13 and you go on a team trip and you know you want to bond with the other players in, in, in you, from your country you mm. know and um, and they tell you to go away to go back where I came from yeah. so that really hit me hard that was very difficult mm. and I faced a lot of that and um, you know parents you know going to Tennis Australia and asking for my scholarships to be taken away because I'm a refugee and I came five minutes ago and I'm 11 and number one in three age groups. So very difficult um, times on top of everything else that I had. Yeah. I really felt like I was, you know, pushed out and, and nobody really wanted me to succeed. And, yeah. and in those early days too, your family was, was very poor. You didn't have mm -hmm. a car. You had to take endless public transport mm -hmm. um, options across Sydney to get mm -hmm. to, to White City. Um, there's a heartbreaking story of when you're overseas with your young players and you're all about to go out and mm -hmm. you're dressed in your tennis gear yep. because... That's that's all you mm -hmm. that's all you had. Yep. So there was there was there was that pressure as well as everything else. It must have been, and this is what in the time since the book was published and the mm -hmm. interviews that you've you've given, mm -hmm. there's been a lot of soul searching amongst um, people in the world of sport and in the media mm -hmm. as well, because people knew that something wasn't right. There was. Um, an horrific incident at Taralgon mm -hmm. when your father was beating you so badly in the motel room. Glen Waverley. Yeah. Sorry, Glen Waverley, okay. sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, beating you so badly in the motel room that someone called the police mm -hmm. and, you, and you and your little brother and your dad are dragged down to the police mm -hmm. station. Um, he's charged, but you know that if you say what mm -hmm. he's been doing to you, your life will be worse. Mm -hmm. And But people knew that something mm -hmm. was going on. Why do you think that people didn't, push harder mm. to find out what was happening? Well, look, I, th I think people knew, but I, uh, I, I, to a certain extent, I understand that it's hard to get involved in a family matter, especially something that's sensitive. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I don't blame anyone, really. I think for me, the bigger problem was when I did leave home, which was when I was mm. 19, that I found no support at all. So even if you didn't know what was going on behind closed doors, he did so many things publicly that you, if you thought for a second, well, you know, this, there's a 14-year-old girl going home with this person, you know? Mm. And I think media played a big part in it because he was a, you know, joke and he was made fun of and mm. it was a headline. Yeah, but it, it was actually, great tabloid. Yeah, it but was it great actually, for the tabloids. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't funny at yeah. all because yeah. they all did so many interviews with him and, and interacted with him. They, they, they would see him at tournaments and he was drunk and he was aggressive. So I didn't, for a very long time, even, even today, I don't understand why it was made fun of because actually you know it really wasn't so i think a lot of uh, people probably and a lot of things could have been done different and i think that's what this book is about not just for me and to tell my story um, because and also for people to get to know me which i think they never really got mm. to know me because of him and i was always people always connected me with him even though I, I distanced myself from him and didn't live with him and had anything to do with him from the age of 19. I think it's also um, good that pe because people can learn so much from what happened to me and in this case and uh, make sure that no other kid goes through this ever again. What do you think would have 
could have made the difference? What do you think could have been done to stop that cycle? Well, look, I think, again, I think the media could have handled things differently, maybe a few other people, but I think also... Did your dad like being in the media? I think so. I think he had to, you know, like it to, mm. to do what he was doing publicly. But I also think um, he did certain things at Wimbledon, US Open, Australian Open, as we know, Birmingham, and um, there was just no, he was not banned. Um, mm. And if I'm being completely honest, I think he should have been banned. And he went on for quite a few times. So, you know, maybe it wouldn't have made a difference, you know, with me in my life, but he certainly wouldn't be, wouldn't be able to come on the tour and, and cause problems. Mm. So I think, you know, some of, some of the things like that. Yeah. How did you finally break away from him? I didn't, I escaped at two o'clock in the morning. Um, and yeah, I didn't know what was gonna happen. I was so scared. Um, and I was still scared 10 years later um, of him. I was extremely scared because I think when you're abused so early on in your life and that's all you know, I, I just had this big fear of him. And um, yeah, I left in the middle of the night, no money, no credit cards. I left everything over to him um, and that was it. I just had my mm. racket bag and I left. You were, um, at the time, you had a, a boyfriend called Enrique, who mm -hmm. was a Brazilian racing driver, mm -hmm. who, who you say in the book that you, you really love, mm -hmm. but he turned out to be quite a controlling yep. figure too, mm -hmm. not to the extent that your father was, yep. but not the sort of guy that you want to mm -hmm. you want to be with. Mm -hmm. um, but he helped you to, to escape from your father. Mm -hmm. um, your, as you said, you had to sign over all your money mm -hmm. to your father, not only what you already had, mm -hmm. but you had to keep sending him money. Mm -hmm. And again, that was out of fear? Or no, no, that was um, because I knew he was money hungry. Everything uh -huh. was about money, which he told me, you know, he used to tell me that for almost 15 years. So I knew that that was very important to him. And I thought if I sign all this over, I gave him millions, that that would make things better when mm -hmm. I leave. And that it would, even though I knew he would, you know, go mental, which he did, I thought it would just ease everything and, and, and make the situation a little bit better, but he didn't. And I continued to do it because I thought, again, he would calm down, but, um, but he yeah. didn't. And, and money, to be honest with you, didn't, doesn't mean much to me. All I wanted was you know, peace and that was it. But yeah, um, yeah Enrique, look, in a way, um, uh, it, it was the kind of you know, the perfect situation. I just needed someone to escape with and, and you know, he didn't turn out to be great, but um, I realized that very quickly and, and was able to say no to that as well, um, because I think I was very um, determined in what I wanted, what kind of life I wanted, and I knew this was not it. And I knew um, me personally always what I wanted was just a family. That's what I always longed for, which is what I didn't have. So anything else, any other abuse, any other control and something I wasn't happy with, I was just going to you know, um, you know, get rid of. It was as simple as that. Yeah. You were you were so great at tennis. You were <laughs> so great. And when you were on the court, were you? There was. I, I know that there was one part of you that was, mm -hmm. you know, determined to do well to try to prevent mm -hmm. your father abusing you. But what about the times that you just really loved playing? Oh, I loved playing from the first time I hit the ball. I really do love tennis and even through the really tough times when it's hard to enjoy tennis on the court and train and compete and, and travel and everything, I, I still love it. You Why know? do you love it? What, what is it I about don't know. that Look, game? I just love hitting the ball and, and I love the sound of it. I love everything. You know? I, I love my rackets and I don't let anyone <laughs> touch them. So I don't know. It's just you know, when you have this passion and that's what it's about. So, and that's another thing why I was kind of, I don't hate my father, but I was at times very angry with him and then sad and then disappointed because 
I think ultimately he cost me my career and mm. certainly um, how long my career could have been um, because I'll, that's all I wanted. All I wanted was to play tennis and have a normal and family. Have a family. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, so I was very angry with him for doing everything to you know tear our family apart in the end, which is what he did, and also um, cost me my career. Yeah. And um, the great shame of it too is that he studied tennis. He studied, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, he did awful things like make you sack coaches mm -hmm. and make you lie about um, draws being rigged mm -hmm. and made you lie to the media, made you go back to Yugoslavia, mm -hmm. which, which we'll talk about too. But he actually studied tennis so intensely mm -hmm. that he was a good, he, he, knew, he knew the game. He knew what to do to be yeah, a good coach. Yeah, he's actually very intelligent. Yes. And um, he's, yeah, he's smart. He always... He studied it. He all the coaches that I had, he learned from them, and uh, he would always take you know what he thought were good things from each one of them, and uh, yeah, he would work with me on them. So yeah, he was very very smart with that. So and, it could have um, been a great team. Yeah, yeah, could have been very. Um, mm. I mean, it was for for a while. No matter what he did to me, you know, physically and and the abuse that I went through. Um, still, tennis-wise, he knew what he was doing, and that's why, you know, ultimately, you know, I have to give him credit for that. He is responsible for, you know, getting me to a certain level. Um, because but you he may have got there anyway. Yeah, look, know. maybe, yeah, but um, look, he worked with yeah. me. He really did, um, as far as that's concerned. He really knew what he was doing. Yeah. Mm. Um, Wimbledon, 1999, when mm -hmm. you were just 16 years old, and you beat... Martina Hingis in two sets. It was mm -hmm. one of the biggest upsets in tennis history. Mm -hmm. Your father was horrid to you, appalling, mm -hmm. but give us a sense of the elation that you felt when you beat Martina Hingis. Yeah, he was terrible the next year, but he, he yeah. was this year too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, look, unbelievable moment for me, but I talk about in the book how that went away in two seconds because I looked over at him and um, he was walking off the court, no, you know, no acknowledgement, no happiness, nothing. Not even a thumbs up? No, but I, I still tried to enjoy that as much as I could, but uh, it was hard, quarterfinals that year, semifinals the following year, yeah. and, you know, the following year I, I made the semis, lost to Lindsay Davenport, who was mm. number one in the world, mm. and, and ended up winning, winning that Wimbledon. And, and that's when he told you not to come back to the yeah, hotel? Yeah, I wasn't allowed to come back home, and, and um, again, no money, nothing, and... I tried to call him again and ask him, you know, I tell him that I have nowhere to go and he said he didn't care. So I stayed at Wimbledon, Players Lounge, and I tried to hide um, in the corner and sleep the night on the couch, but the cleaner found me at 11 o'clock at night and called the officials. Mm. Yeah. When you finally did manage to escape from your father and you mm -hmm. continued your career, but you didn't, um, you didn't have a happy time with coaches mm -hmm. after that. You couldn't mm -hmm. find the coach that fitted yep. and you also gave one particular coach, who happened to be the brother of the mm -hmm. love of your life, mm -hmm. um, so many chances, mm -hmm. and he let you down. Yeah. Why did you... How did that happen? Yeah, look, I was actually... Was it that complicated family structure? No, no. It was the fact that I actually was looking for more... Not just a coach, but someone who would be a friend, really. Mm. I think that's important because I had went through so much and I just needed, you know, someone to lean on, really, uh, or, or an older brother, because I, at the time when I left home, my father didn't allow me to talk to my brother for six years and tried to manipulate with him, so that was very hard on me. So I was almost looking for, um, you know, a, re a replacement, you know, mm. or, or a great friend. And, um, yeah, I, I had a very tough time with him, and um, he went off with another player, and, um, yeah, it was 
complete um it was a mess and uh conf conflict of interest and he ended up coaching her behind my back and yeah a lot of problems but um I, I yeah i tried to give him a uh, you know a few chances based on the fact that yeah we were kind of family and and mm. um but it's it, it's it's hard because i um constantly searched for for someone and there was no one there which you know mm. ultimately with everything that was going on together with my family um, really um, uh, got me into a really dark time and I battled really bad depression and almost committed suicide. So yeah. all of that together um, kind of wasn't a good combination. It's, it's no surprise at all that at some point in your life all this caught up with you mm -hmm. and you did fall into mm -hmm. this terrible state of depression and anxiety and what sounds, reads a lot like post-traumatic stress mm -hmm. um, syndrome. And... Uh, and you say you did think about taking your own life, yep. but also what I found amazing reading the account of those times was that you did seek professional help, mm -hmm. but again, you were, you were let down. No one could yeah. really help you mm. deal well, with all, all that stuff that had to be dealt with. Yeah, I think it's hard to understand. Um, I did have therapy a little bit, but it was just so complicated. I think even reading the book, sometimes I feel like maybe the book doesn't do the, the whole story justice because it's so hard to explain to people yeah. and write about it and put it on paper um, that's why I had some <laughs> issues in the editing process before we went to print because I was constantly questioning whether I described it well enough when whether I put it because actually to live it was really a nightmare yeah. um, and because yeah. you're talking about you know months and you we're know, talking and years, years, years and you um, can't you have to sum yeah. that up in a few paragraphs you can't sum exactly that up in a few exactly paragraphs. Um, so it was it was hard it was very hard because um, I felt also my, my father was giving me, um, he made my life hell even after I left yeah. home and I was constantly made f to feel really guilty and, and that I'm irresponsible for everything. My, not being able to talk to my brother was the hardest thing ever. Um, so there was a combination of all of these things. Um, and yeah, it, they just, you know, after a while, I still played well um, for a while after mm. I left home, but then it, it just, yeah, it was too much and it kind of almost, yeah, yeah snapped and, and yeah. Um, I talk about, um, you know, almost committing suicide in the book and almost jumping off a balcony, which a little bit to this day, I don't know why I didn't, in a way, because um, I just felt it would be better for everyone. And uh, How can you talk about all this now, Yelena, mm -hmm. because you're, you know, you, you're travelling around the country, you're doing lots of media interviews, mm -hmm. um, you, you know, you're sounding very clear and matter-of-fact, mm -hmm. but we're talking about... Um, tumultuous things that happened to you and emotions and um, you having to fight your way out of some very, very mm. dark places. How are you so composed? Um, maybe I what look, helps maybe you? I look composed. I don't know. You um, do look composed. You yeah, sound composed. Yeah, sometimes I'm still now when I talk about mm. it, I'm close to tears. I am. But um, it's taken me a long time. If I had to do this five years ago, I wouldn't be able to do it and talk yeah. about it. But that's why I think this book, um, I was actually ready to write it. Um, I didn't know when that would be, whether it would be now or in five years or in ten years. But um, I was ready. Um, I wish I could have done it while I was playing. It would have, I think, actually made a difference. But I, I wasn't ready. And I feel like a, whole, a huge weight has been lifted um, off my shoulders and I feel really good about it but yeah, yeah um, it's still a little bit hard but I'm just kind of in a in a place where it's been obviously some time has passed by it's been quite a few years and and I'm almost um, so much like I feel like I'm really mature now and I've accepted things for what they are mm -hmm. this was just the way my life was supposed to be some people you know have 
a family and a great one or a great support system. I didn't have that, and that's fine. I think it's about moving forward and, and you know, thinking about the future because I think for me there's a higher goal now here. Um, and for me, ultimately, the biggest one is to have my own family and break the cycle mm. and make sure I do things differently. Yeah. Um, you say that the hardest thing that you... Well, one of the, 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 the really... Awful, most, one of the most awful things your father did was make you turn your back on Australia mm. and play for Yugoslavia. Mm. And you say that the, the part of reason, the, the reason why you've written this book too is so people, Australians, mm. everyone gets to know you, you know, mm. who you were. You, you, you weren't that sullen, um, difficult yep. person mm. who, you know, didn't like to make friends. You mm. wanted friends. You mm. wanted to be part of that, yep. that tennis family and you weren't allowed to do that. Mm. So... So that is a great thing mm. too. But you did come back to Australia. There were, there were times when Australians treated you really badly mm. and they didn't understand the full story. Um, but then you did come back to mm. Australia and played at the Australian Open. Yep. And how did you feel when people you know, yelled out, go Yelena? Yeah, in my head it was a very easy decision. But actually, um, uh, yeah, it was just, um, I was so worried about coming back because I was worried about the people's reaction. And obviously, um, like I said, I don't hate my dad, but if there's one thing that I might be close to, it's because of this decision, you know, that he made me do this when I was 17 in, in 2001. And, and um, yeah, make me literally turn my back to Australia because I actually <laughs> felt Australian. I loved playing for Australia and I would never have done that. I was very aware of um, Australia helping me become the person and a player that I was, no matter how many you know difficult situations I had in, in the tennis community. Um, and, and I faced a lot. I still was very appreciative, and I knew um, how much you know Australia and Tennis Australia um, put into my career and my life and, and funded it, and I would never have been the player um, without them. And also, it was just as simple as that. I really felt home here, even though he didn't. I did, and, and mm. he made me do this, and I, I think it was a calculated move. I, I talk about that in the mm. book as well. I think yeah. he was always going to do that and, and wanted us to go back, but I didn't. And, um, yeah, I was I was 17. I was made to do this, and walking out on Rod Laver Arena after, you know, f 24 hours after he made me do it was one of the worst moments of my life, um, worse than any abuse that he put me through. And um, if there's one thing I could take back is, is turning, you know, turning my back to Australia, um, which, you know, he made me do. And um, I would take that back um, before any of the abuse. I, w I would, you know, really like to turn back time and, and take that back. It was hard coming back because I think, you know, Australians did give me a second chance. But also I think um, I had to work on that relationship, you know, and, and walking out on, you know, that first round match at the Australian Open, um, I, was, I was nervous. It was hard. Mm. Um, but I, I got the biggest rece reception ever which was great. And um, yeah, 2009 Australian Open was the first time I walked out onto Rod Laver again, again after that um, very difficult um, first round match in 2001 where I was jeered and, and got a really bad reception, which was understandable. And a lot of emotions. Yeah, and again, such a great reception. But I still, even though I got a lot of support from the Australian public, I still feel like they didn't know the real me no. and I was still kind of at times judged for what I did. Um, and they, you know, um, now when I look at it and people reading the book and coming up to me, I see just how much they really didn't know me. So in a way, it's good to be able to get this book out, um, you know, maybe for that, maybe one selfish reason. <laughs> but um, yeah, <coughs> you know, I did this for, really did this for so many other reasons and really to, to try mm. and help people and for people to see what happened and make them realize, you know, that, that we can learn so much to, um, from what happened to me. 
<coughs> do you th I mean, is this, it would be naive to think that it still doesn't go on, that mm -hmm. there are still some parents pushing their children to the point of mm -hmm. abuse because they're trying to live their dreams through their children or they see their child and their ability and their talent mm -hmm. as the way to lift the family mm -hmm. out of whatever. Yeah. Um, and not just in the sporting world, in the world of entertainment, you know, anywhere. So your, your book helps break down the, mm -hmm. what's often been a silence around that. Um, what, what would you say to a young person mm -hmm. who's going through this now mm -hmm. and who is in that situation that you were, that, you, that, that to say anything against your father mm -hmm. or whoever would be to break the family apart, would be mm -hmm. a traitor, that would be the worst thing that you could do. Mm -hmm. How would you give them the strength mm -hmm. to get out of that? Well, it's happening. Whether we want to admit it or not, mm -hmm. it's happening in tennis, in sport, in everyday life. And um, it's actually disappointing because since the books come out, people have come up to me and said, look, this is still happening in tennis. Like, we, we, we know it's happening. So it's, it's hard to hear that. Um, I'm not sure whether those cases are extreme as mine. You know, maybe they are. Uh, mine was quite extreme. Mm -hmm. I'm aware of that. Um, but, yeah, look, um, it's, it's very difficult also because I feel like since the books have come out, and I didn't have this feeling before, is that everyone's so surprised in, in a good way, but so surprised that I'm speaking up and that I'm speaking out. Yeah. And, and it looks like it's still um, almost a normal thing to, to, to kind of not talk mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, that, that's a surprise. So, look, I'm, I'm glad I did it in a, for a lot of reasons. And, um, yeah, it feels really, I think, good for people to come up to me um, and, and give me all this support, but also say, look, you're going to make a difference, which, which feels really good. I really want to take this to another level. And, um, yeah, I, I would like for more people to come out and talk about it and to have the courage and to have the strength. And I know it's difficult because I went through that. But, um, yeah, look, it, it, it's, um, it's out there. It's happening. Yeah. Mm. And uh, for me, I think the support system, I think it's about um, really kind of almost researching what you can do, where you can go, who you can talk to, yeah. which I didn't know at the time and I was very young. And I think things are better today and I, because I really didn't have anyone that I can go to. And if you do know someone that's going through a tough time, I think it's about even just asking them how they're doing and, and you know, offering, you know, uh, help or even a, a kind word, which is all I wanted as well. I've had a couple of cases um, in the last few years and a, a couple of opportunities actually um, wh where I've done that. And it wasn't, wasn't necessarily physical abuse, but um, just a, a couple of people and a couple of girls that were struggling in general. And, you know, all I did was, you know, give them a hug and, and ask them how they're doing, mm. give them my number. And whenever, you know, no matter what time it is, what day it is, Sunday, weekend, whatever, day <laughs> or night, just to give me a call. Um, and, and I've done it a couple of times and, and it's, and have and they it's reached worked. Out? Yes, they have. Mm. Yeah. So I think that's what it's about because I, look, I wasn't going to come out and talk against my father when I was 15, but look, I, I left when I was 19 and distanced myself from that. And it was still so difficult, mm. you know, so mm. difficult that four or five years later, like we talked about, I almost committed suicide. So it's just as important to be there for someone once they leave. It's just as hard, maybe even harder once they yeah. leave an abusive situation. Yeah. Uh, over the years, you've made um, several attempts to um, reconcile with your father, mm -hmm. to give him a chance mm -hmm. to, you know, to be a family. It hasn't worked out. How, do you think he'll read the book? Are you, what do you think about, the, about him reading this? <sighs> I think he knows about the book. Yeah. Um, He'd have to know about the book. Yeah. I think everyone knows yeah. about the book. Um, <coughs> yeah, look, it's, it's hard. I've tried to reconcile. 
and um, we're just on such different levels, you know. Mm. And he shows no remorse. He doesn't think he did anything wrong. He's talked about it publicly, publicly, and mm. says that, you know, he thinks that that's how you should discipline your children. And and yeah, it's hard um, to talk to a person who thinks that. It's just hard to start any kind of communication. Mm. So mm. I've given up on that. I think it's time to move on. Mm. Yeah. You're mm. writing, you're coaching, you're commentating. Do you still enjoy playing? Yeah, I get out there sometimes. I don't coach as much. I've done a little bit of it, and I actually enjoy it. I have quite a bit of patience for it, and I've worked with kids, which is good. I'm more in TV and commentary, mm -hmm. motivational speaking, and, and you know, writing. So that has been really good. And but you can um, still enjoy tennis. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I've got a lot of things that I'm doing which I like. Um, I think I've made quite a good transition from being a professional athlete into normal life because it's so difficult. Yeah. Um, we're almost under, you know, it's not a normal life when you're a professional athlete, especially tennis. Yeah, yeah. It's very That's different. Circuit. Yeah, that, it's very different yeah. when you finish playing and go into normal life. All of this is gone. The adrenaline is gone. The people around you are gone. The adulation. Yeah, yeah. so I think I've done a pretty good job. Um, mm -hmm. I've got things that I'm doing that I really like, that I really enjoy, and I'm lucky that I can do a few things at the same time. I think you've done a pretty good job too. Yelena, yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you thank so you. much. Yeah. So, wow, what a story. Um, and I must say, um, I was reading the book yesterday and my son said, are you enjoying that, Mum? You look traumatised. And I said, but, <laughs> yeah, but I can't a lot of, put it down. Yeah, a lot so of people said amazing. we need therapy after yes. this book. So. <laughs> so but we still did, read it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, you can't put it down. It's a, it's a stunning story in a bit confronting. So we do have some time for some questions. So the way we do things in the library is we put our hands up big and high and we wait for Kat or Sharon with the microphones to come by. So... Um, Questions. I know we have one down the front. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and one then in the maybe middle. This, this so lady here. Next. Feel free to ask whatever you want, really. No. Thank you very. Thank you very much, um, Elena. Thank you so much. Michael is my name from Melbourne. Mm -hmm. A tennis fan. I've watched you from the very start of your career when you burst onto the scene. Thank you. A huge fan of your courage. May I say mm -hmm. that I think you've become a much more powerful voice now globally mm -hmm. for positive change with sharing your story than perhaps if you, even if you'd won Wimbledon or become ah, number one in the yeah. world. Thank a you. much more significant achievement. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <coughs> so much more. Thank you for sharing the story. You've made many of us feel that we're not alone, mm -hmm. and that's a gift that is so rare and so precious. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. Uh, as well, and a demonstration of that courage and all the benefits of that, and that gives us all strength. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to ask you um, a couple of things. One is, I believe now, because tennis is a global sport, mm -hmm. that you will be a, a much, as I say, more powerful voice for positive change from here on in your career. Mm -hmm. What would you like to achieve here on? Mm -hmm. And the other question is, you mentioned breaking the cycle with your own family, mm -hmm. and I was a court reporter, a journalist, at at, and I, uh, for many, many years, and I know how critical and difficult mm -hmm. that is. Mm -hmm. would, your, would you coach a child into, uh, into tennis or professional sport? And if I may, just one third question. <laughs> it's cheeky. We might need to let others have a go yes. as well. That's okay. That's uh, just okay. a question about duty of care on the women's tour and the men's tour for teenagers, where, whether you think there needs to be a greater duty of care by mm -hmm. the professional sports mm -hmm. tours. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words, first of all. It uh, really means a lot. Um, yeah, uh, look, breaking the cycle, I think, like I said, uh, my father, uh, no matter what he did, he went through a really tough time with his mother. 
Um, and so for a couple of generations, it's been happening in my family. So big, big goal for me. Obviously, I would love to have a family. Um, and, and that's a big goal for, I think, me and, 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 and my partner, hopefully husband soon. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, is to, to parent differently, to really, you know, do it differently. And it's all about keeping the family together, I think. That's a really big goal of mine for, for the rest of my life before anything else, any other work or anything else. So um, that's the first thing. Second thing, uh, what was the second question? Um, um, duty of care on the circuit. Yeah, look, it's hard because I think, like I said, I think it's better today. Um, I'm not sure whether, how many people I, I would have had to turn, to turn to, like 20 or 25 years ago. Um, I think it is, I'm not in, directly involved in WTA or in, in the Australian Tennis or, or Tennis Australia, so I don't know exactly what's there. But um, yeah, I think it can always probably be better. Um, it, I think it's about um, having, I think, psychologists on both the tour and every federation in every country, especially the big, the Grand Slam ones. So that would be Tennis Australia as well. Um, I know that they're working on it uh, from a couple of years ago already. And um, yeah, I think it's about just having that support system there. Because like I said, for me, it was hard to go through everything with my, with my father, but it was so much harder when I left home. I really had no one to talk to, no one to turn to. So I think it's about putting measures in place, putting a support system in place, and for players to know you know, who they can call and who they, they can turn to. And I would also, to be honest with you, also like to see other coaches, other, you know, um, players on the tour um, really support each other. I think it's a very brutal sport. It's very competitive. Um, there's obviously a lot of money involved, which makes, makes things very difficult. But I would like to see kind of everyone almost come together. Yeah. And the other question was, what would you like to achieve? Yeah. For the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, look, I think this book, uh, I talk about, you know, wanting to help people. And at the end of my book, I put in there, even before this came out, obviously, is that if this book helps one person, it's mission accomplished. And I think it's already done that, which is great. But it's, I think, about taking it further. And to be honest with you, I didn't think it was going to be this big. I didn't think that I could maybe make this much of a difference. But people are listening. A lot of people are talking about it, not just in Australia, but worldwide. And hopefully I can get involved with a lot of charities and even if that's, you know, WTA or Tennis Australia and really help, you know, a lot of kids, a lot of sports people in general and, and, and even people outside of the sport. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, there was a lady here in the middle. Oh, if Thank we could just wait, just wait till the microphone one comes one to you. And no, some people are no, using no. the hearing loops. So. Sorry, yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. But I, I think you were talking about family, and I just felt sort of sad. I hope you reconcile with your mother and your brother. <laughs> Have you at all? Yeah, I talked to my mother. Um, it's a work in progress, and um, I think um, she kind of feels feels like obviously she's done some things wrong. But um, yeah, we we talk about it. We had some very difficult conversations. And uh, yeah, look, I have some mixed feelings about her, you know, support over the years and, and you know, kind of where she stood with everything. But again, I'm willing to give everything a chance and we talk and I see her. My brother, I have a, a great relationship with. We started talking again in 2008, end of 2008, after not being able to talk for six years, uh, which was uh, really, really good for me. I felt like um, pretty much the day that I started talking to him again, that's when I started to get better uh, mentally. So, yeah, that has been, I think, the really good part. Uh, Yelena, I haven't read your book, but I did notice when I was in the foyer, I'm a coach myself, and I just wondered, 
You mentioned that Tony Roach was a very good coach. Mm -hmm. What were the particular characteristics that he had that added to your game? And um, do you still have uh, you still in contact with him? I mean, he he would have been a good mentor for mm -hmm. you. I would have thought. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, unbelievable. First of all, unbelievable uh, man. He's one of the nicest, kindest people ever. Um, Tennis-wise, yeah, he brought a lot to my game. From I struggled a little bit with my serve when I was younger, and I worked with him when I was about um, 16. So he uh, he helped my serve a lot. He helped my net, net game a lot to get me to come forward because I had very good ground strokes and I was very good um, from the baseline. So he helped that. He brought different things into it from, from slice to, to just really making me work hard. And even though I had a really good work ethic and discipline, he really constantly, you know, um, I could always learn something. And um, he was working with Pat Rafter at the time. Um, which I, which was absolutely amazing. I learned a lot from from them too. Um, but with Tony Roach, I didn't work with him for such a long time because my dad um, obviously fired him or made me fire him because he wasn't happy. Um, which again, um, if you read the book, you will see just how bad I feel about that as well. And um, yeah, for years and years after that, I um, I had trouble uh, even looking Tony in the eye. Um, because of that and I felt really bad and guilty and I apologized to him I think he knew um, obviously everything that was going on that, and that it wasn't my decision I apologized to him but I still years and years later had um, difficulty going up to him and talking to him but yeah we talked we talked through the years he was on the court back with me a few years ago as well um, and uh, we stayed uh, we stayed in contact yeah okay do we have a, another question just in the middle Um, thanks so much for sharing your story. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you a question about resilience. Mm -hmm. um, as, a, as a parent with a young child myself, I often think to myself, how can I raise my son to be resilient and, and have grit and determination? And I do that by surrounding him with love. But you didn't necessarily have that, but you've, you've, got, you've got so much resilience and mm -hmm. so much grit and determination. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? Does, did that come because of your experience or in spite of your experience? Yeah, look, probably because of my experience. I mean, I have to be honest. Um, I think not just because of my father, but look, being a refugee twice and fleeing, you know, your home twice and, and seeing a whole lot of things that I've seen very early on. Yeah, look, um, I think I grew up probably a lot faster than a lot of other other kids. Um, and you grasp the concept of, of life and, and war very early on. So I think that's what definitely made me uh, very resilient. But I think, look, there are other ways to do it as well. I think you can still be, <laughs> yeah, look, I still think you can, um, you know, be very supportive and very loving um, towards your kid, but you can also show him, you know, what he needs to do and, and, and work hard and, and have discipline and sometimes be a little bit tough on them when, when, it, when that needs to be done, but without the abuse. So, yes, I, I'm sure I'm not a parent. I'm sure it's a fine line and it's difficult at times. But uh, for me, I think you can still do so much with, with love and support. It doesn't mean that they have to be abused to make them a good tennis player or good, good at anything in life. Yeah. Last question? Yes. Oh, I think, can we have two quick yeah, last questions? Yeah, we can questions. do a few more, yeah. that's fine. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, Yelena. Hi. Um, I'm Serbian and I'm a, a psychologist that mostly works with young people. So, look, I um, the book was really quite harrowing to read, but mm -hmm. what actually struck me about it mostly is that um, almost some of the scenes seem familiar, some of the abuse seemed mm -hmm. familiar to me within certain communities. So um, I think growing up as a, um, in a Serbian community in Canberra and, and Queanbeyan, 
I think that it was actually quite normalised for, for students too, or young people, to, mm -hmm. to cop some kind of abuse. I think uh, it seemed to me more than others. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's still hard for um, a lot of our um, young people that come from migrant families, especially new arrivals, whether they be even Asian or that seem to not, um, I suppose, challenge mm -hmm. um, um, this kind of normalised perception mm -hmm. that there's sort of the way that you treat children is probably mm -hmm. not to the standards that we have here. Yep. So um, I think that, you know, of course it's changed a lot and second, third generation uh, migrants are, are probably not, you know, doing that as mm -hmm. much, but it certainly, I think, was quite normalised within ethnic communities. Do you mm -hmm. think that um, that's a little bit of a factor? I, I certainly find that, you know, um, you know, your, f your father really would meet the criteria for pretty significant personality disorder, if you ask mm -hmm. me. So, uh, but we don't have that kind of uh, dialogue, that sort of um, conversation around mental health and mental illness, and um, mm -hmm. and again, that we've just normalised behaviours that are really, you know, pathologically pretty serious. So. Yeah, look, I think generally, um, as you know, obviously that's what that's the part of the world that you're from, Eastern, that Eastern Europe and the Balkan area. I think that, yeah, it is quite normal. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people, even since the books come out from that area, um, are coming to me and saying they've gone through the same thing and, and it's still happening. So, uh, yeah, look, um, whether it's that kind of culture and, and mentality um, over there, absolutely it is, you know. That's why I said um, it's about... Uh, speaking up it's, and, and again speaking out and I wish that um, more people were doing it and in a way I'm kind of disappointed that people are saying telling, telling me well you're the first one that's kind of being you know open about this and you're so honest in your book and, and right but you know I feel like we shouldn't have to like the truth if we're, if we're saying the truth and being open about stuff that it's just you know such a shock so you know in a way um yeah it's a little bit disappointing and, and i hope more people will do it um yeah i, I don't I, I don't know what to tell you it's definitely um a pattern um in that part of the world and i don't think it's as much here though um i don't think so yeah look i think anywhere in the world whether it's australia eastern europe whatever it is again i think it's about you know speaking out trying to really break the cycle and i don't like to talk about this but um, a couple of um, reporters have actually asked me about everything that's happened in the states with the harvey weinstein thing and um how everything's just now you know come out and collapsed and um you know that's what we need this needs people need to talk about this and and look how much is coming out um, regarding that even though for me uh, it's so hard to talk about that and to imagine what everyone was going through but i mean so many women and i'm sure there's more that haven't come out it's so, a cascading effect yeah isn't so it? whatever yeah. it is whether it's physical abuse sexual whatever it is i think it's we need to talk about this this needs to come out because that's i think the only way we can fix this and see what what else we can do yeah I haven't read your book as yet, mm -hmm. and hopefully the question's not too personal, mm -hmm. but after everything that you've gone through with your dad, mm -hmm. can I ask why you felt such a need? I think you said you've attempted to reconcile your relationship mm -hmm. about seven times now. Mm -hmm. Do you know why you'd well, like to do that? Or Look, I think uh, at the end of the day, the family was broken, that was it. Everyone kind of, I felt like, went their own way. Everyone was in a really difficult position in my family. My brother and I are pretty much the only ones kind of this, that stayed, you know, the closest and have a really good relationship. Um, I tried, you know. I think um, maybe because I'm 
it was just hard, so hard for me to accept that a family, so, you know, a mother, a father, a wife, a husband, whatever it is, that they can't come together and make this work. Um, so I kind of wanted to, and yeah, look, now after 15 years, I realize that's not possible, but I wanted to, I wanted to give him a chance. I wanted to see almost if he's changed, if he's willing to have any kind of communication with me and, 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 and with my brother, if we can come together and, and, you know, maybe, you know, try and work on this. But yeah, look, it's, it's not possible, but I, I really wanted to make sure I did everything that I could um, so that I cannot, you know, maybe say in 10 years time, well, I didn't try hard enough. And, you know, sometimes people say, you know, things might change when they get older or, you know, if something happens and they die. Um, this might sound harsh, but you know what? I've done everything. I've done everything I can. Um, I've really tried to, to talk to him, to, to, to give him a chance um, a lot of times. And um, it's almost like he doesn't want it in a way. Yeah. So I have no regrets. Yeah. I think that's a very good place for us to draw this part of the conversation to a close. But the night is not over, so I would encourage you to join us for some refreshments upstairs in the foyer. Elena has uh, kindly agreed to um, sign copies of her book, which I can, I think from the few people that have read it in the room, we can say it's unbeatable in terms of a read. Certainly an unbreakable young woman. Fantastic thank story. You. Thank you, Louise. So can I ask thank you to you. thank Louise and William? Thank you. Thank you.